Welcome to the City Church Podcast. We hope that you will be abundantly blessed by this message. If you would like to find out more about the city, please log on to our website, www.thecity.sg. I'm very excited for God's Word this morning. I am excited to go on with week five of Build This City. Come on, how many of you have uh, learned something and uh, appreciated the series? Yes? Yes. Awesome. You know, I, I know that I'm preaching to the choir when it comes to certain topics, but I believe that, you know, when we revisit certain foundational elements of the church and uh, of why we exist as uh, this community, that God will speak to us in a brand new way. And uh, so I want to encourage you that even though some of these verses and content I'm going to cover, you might have heard before, but be expectant for what God is going to do in and through this series. Amen? Yes? All right, let's pray before I lead this. Lord, Lord, we thank you once again for uh, the privilege of gathering together. Lord, we thank you uh, for that promise in the Bible that says when two or three are gathered in your name that you are here among us. And God, we thank you for your presence that is accessible, that is real, that is uh, present in this moment. God, we ask that indeed every person here would not leave here uh, impressed by the words that I'm about to speak, but they leave here impressed by your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we ask that you'll have your way. Do as you will. We give you full reign, full control of this service. And Holy Spirit, we ask that you will touch lives as you do. You will touch lives. You will rule and reign in every heart. We're expectant for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. How many of you watched the royal wedding? Mamas, mamas. <coughs> You know, one of the things I realized in, in marriage is uh, it's no longer Amy watches American Top Model, Amy watches The Royal Wedding, it's we watch American Idol and American Next Top Model and all kinds of very interesting films that I've never watched as a single man. But now, <laughs> being married, we have like a collective identity when it comes to the stuff we watch. You know? So we watched The Royal Wedding and we watched <laughs> American Next Top Model. Um, <laughs> Just what? <laughs> yeah, all sorts of fun stuff. Um, one, one of the things that we, we have to realize as Christians is that when we uh, said yes to Christ and we said yes to uh, the church community, that we have been grafted into a collective identity, if you will. Right? The Bible says that, you know, that we are all royal priesthood. It's not just the clergyman, it's not just the really anointed individuals, it's not just the influential persons that are royal priesthood, but we are all. The Bible says a royal priesthood. One of the things the Bible uh, says about believers is that we are all witnesses. Everybody say witnesses. Right, you know, we are all familiar with that term, you know, but the Bible calls us witnesses. And a witness, you know, it's someone who testifies, right? That is a very easy, understandable term. It's a person who testifies. And the Bible says that we are witnesses of Christ for Jesus, right? You know, often when I read... Uh, that word or that passage, I would uh, have in, in my mind almost Christ sitting on the stand, you know, Jesus sitting on the stand, and they're trying to rule uh, whether Jesus is the Messiah, whether he is the Savior, and we are all seated on the other side as witnesses, right? Witnessing, testifying that he is indeed the Savior and the Messiah. Now, develop that kind of imagery in your head, right? Jesus is being put on trial for being the Savior, and we are witnesses coming in saying that, yes, he is the Savior. And the Bible talks about the early uh, apostles, the early believers, when they went to town to town, they would be witnesses. You know, they didn't have doctrines to preach. They didn't have a Bible or resources to tap onto, but they would go from city to city, town to town, and they would be witnesses. They would share of their experience with the Messiah. They would share of their lives being touched, being impacted by the Savior. They were witnesses. Amen. Amen? No, I, I would really hope for our evangelism to look more like that than anything else, you know, that we do not convince people with doctrines, with sayings, with, you know, facts and tools, but we would call people to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ because we have experienced that in our own lives as well. You know, but today, I, I, with that imagery in mind, I, I want to pose a question to us. If, okay, the tables were turned and we were on the stand, 
okay, where Jesus is sitting. And they were trying to put, uh, they were trying to put us through a trial process, you know, and rule whether that individual is a Christian, whether you and I are Christian. And we have witnesses there, witnessing, testifying of that regard. Would the evidence be so compelling and so overwhelming that we, it would be undoubtedly rude that we are Christian? Okay? I know. I sound confusing, but track with me. Does your life, okay, are there things and aspects of your life that would evidence, would tell the world that you are Christian? Apart from your schedule on Sunday, apart from uh, certain Facebook pages that you follow, apart from certain routine and schedule, are there aspects of your life, characteristics that you carry that will tell the world that you are Christian, that if you were to be put on the stand and they were to examine your life, that they would say, this man is indeed Christian because of this and this and this and this. It sounds so far-fetched, it sounds so out there, but the Bible promises us or tells us of a day where our lives will be examined before Almighty God. We'll be put on a stand. And our lives will be examined and it will then be said whether this man followed Christ or whether this man didn't. Right? There are characteristics that we are called to embody as Christians, as believers. We, we can all agree that. No? I'm sure we can name a few. Having faith, having hope, having love. Today I want to talk about a trait that I believe is vital for us to embrace as a faith community. The Bible has so much to say on this trait. And it's sad to say that this trait has uh, been ignored, uh, has almost uh, been looked at as counterintuitive to success. Um, but I believe this is distinctive to the Christian. And today I want to talk about integrity. Let me say integrity. I believe this is vital, this is crucial to the believer. Now, I once heard of a man who served during the Civil War and who died about the time the Civil War was coming to an end. And history does not really remember who he was or what he did. But he must have lived a significant life because, of, because when he died, they had a, his tombstone erected and underneath his name on the tombstone, they had this sentence engraved. He was a man of unquestioned integrity. Unquestioned integrity. And that's my sermon title for today, Unquestioned Integrity. What kind of life must ha that man have lived? What kind of characteristics, integrity must, have that, man, must that man have carried that people would say of this man that this man's integrity is unquestioned? Unquestioned. And I believe that God is calling us to live such lives, a life of unquestioned integrity. We are, you know, we are on this series of building the city, and we're talking about the core values and the things that we want uh, placed or uh, established in the church as we build the church, as we build our lives as Christians. And it's interesting that when we examine a building or when someone examines a building and uh, is going through the process of de determining whether the building is safe, it's often said that the person exa is examining the building's integrity. To know if what we are building here or in our lives is sound, it's right, we need to examine the presence of integrity. Amen? You know, one of the mandates on this house, and we've talked about it really often, is that we are called to raise a house of champions. And what does that mean? It means that all of you can find an expression of ministry no matter where you are. In your workplaces, in your homes, in your social circles, you can be a minister. We do not believe that ministry is confined to what we do in church, but all of us, as a royal priesthood, as sons and daughters of God, have been given a heavenly mandate and assignment to bring the realities of the kingdom to where we're at. You are a minister. You are a house of champions. Champion to bring God's reali realities to wherever you're at. And I believe God will give us influence, favor, dreams, and endeavors. And one of the beautiful things we have in this house is that we have different movements and initiatives represented in this house. It's a beautiful thing, right? But here's, here's what I want to say over us. God doesn't just value competency, He values character. God doesn't just value the product, He values the process and the means to which you get the result. You know, the Bible admonishes believers to be patient. We are all familiar with that, right? 
be patient. Now, First Corinthians 13 says love is patient. How many of you know that you can wait? Okay, you can be in the process of waiting without being patient. You can be in the process of waiting without patient. We know that to be patient, you have to wait. You have to participate in the act of waiting, right? But patience is not an act. It's a posture to which you do something, right? Patience is the posture of your heart, posture of your person as you wait. So the Bible admonishes us to be patient, to have a posture, internal posture. God is not just interested in what you do. He's interested in how you do it. We often talk about in this church about influence, about impact, about changing society, about bringing God's kingdom wherever we're at, thriving, reigning in life. All great things. But God is not just concerned about what you do. He's concerned about how you do it, the means to which you get to that point. You know, we all have prophetic words over our life. We all have dreams and endeavors. And those are great things. But God is not just concerned about you hitting the mark when it comes to your dreams, your endeavors, the initiatives you space in your heart. He's concerned about how you get there. He's concerned about the posture of your heart as you get there, your character. Am I making sense? Integrity comes from the Latin word integer, and it is defined as such the state of being whole and undivided, the quality of being honest and having strong moral principles. But I love this definition of the word integrity. It goes to have an internal consistency. Beautiful, an internal consistency. What does that mean? It means that our walk matches our talk, our behavior matches our beliefs and our character matches our confession. What does that mean to us as a believer? It means that we do not just profess to be Christian. We do not just profess to partake in a religion. But our character matches our confession. That means that we don't just talk the talk, but we walk the talk. We endeavor to live lives that reflect Christ, so that in that day, our lives will be undoubtedly recognized as life as a Christ follower. Am I making sense? John Maxwell has this great line on integrity. He says this, becoming a person of integrity means deciding to integrate my heart's value into my daily actions. My heart's value into my daily actions. I'd like to refer us to a passage of scripture in John 10. And this is Jesus defending himself against the religious leaders of his days, his enemies, his rivals, as they refuted this claim of being Messiah, it says in John 10, do you say of him, this is Jesus speaking, whom the Father sanctified and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the Son of God. Now Jesus says this, if I do not do the works of my Father, do not believe me. But if I do, though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. Catch that line in the second paragraph. If I do not do the works of my father, do not believe me. Doing a bit of study uh, of scripture and just doing a bit of research, we'll know that there are some 300 messianic prophecies in the Old Testament detailing uh, certain circumstances and certain things that would happen uh, in reference to the Messiah's birth and the Messiah's life. Some 300 over prophecies. Okay? How many of you know that Jesus fulfilled every single one of them? He fulfilled every single one of them. And a mathematician... Uh, punched some numbers, and he says this. He said that in order for a single man in that day to fulfill even eight of those messianic prophecies, the probability would be one to the power, one times ten to the power of seventeen. That's seventeen zeros. That's like trillion, 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 many trillions. In order for a single man to fulfill eight of those messianic prophecies. Catch this. Jesus is saying this. If I do not do the works of my Father, you have every right to refute, to deny all of this. 300 over prophecies. Okay? Probability of 1 times 10 to the power of 17. Okay? Crazy odds. If I do not do the works, if I do not measure up, if I do not match up, you have every right to deny this. That's, that's a crazy statement. Crazy statement. How many of you know that Jesus values integrity? 
that your words ought to match up to your actions. Your words should match up to your works. A person of integrity is validated by their words and their deeds. Integrity is making my daily actions line up with my heart value. I'd like to just go through a couple of scriptures very quickly. Integrity is a basic element of Christian character. It's the first characteristic of those welcomed into God's presence. Let's look at Psalms 15. It says, O Lord, who may abide in your tent, who may dwell in your holy hill, he who walks with integrity and works righteousness. The next scripture, this talks about leadership. and says that, so he, David, shepherded them according to the integrity of his heart and guided them by the skillfulness of his hands. Integrity. So what is a core characteristic of believers? Integrity is not to be confused with reputation. Reputation is this. Your, your reputation is what people say, what people think, and what people believe you are. It's different from integrity. It's different from character. Reputation is what people say you are. Character is who you really are. As believers, we shouldn't go about pursuing just having a good reputation, but we should go about pursuing having character. And character means that who I am on the outside is who I am on the inside. Who I am in public is who I am in private. That's character. That's consistency. And that's integrity. Amen? We read in the Bible that Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit. You know, we read, read about that scripture often. And it says that after he went through a wilderness experience, he came out filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. Or in some translations, in the power of the Holy Spirit. Here's what I want to say to you. God will only allow you to go through a wilderness experience when there is a promised land on the other side. He will only allow you to go through a wilderness when there's a promised land on the other side. The question is this, why go through a wilderness experience? Why do I have to go through a process to get the product? Because God isn't just interested in you completing tasks, in you having finished products. He's interested in forming character. He's interested in forming you. He will only allow you to go through a wilderness when there's a promised land on the other side. You might receive promotion through favor, giftings, having skill set. But here's, here's a thought. Your giftings, your skill sets can get you somewhere. But character is going to keep you there. Character is going to keep you there. The Bible says this, that, that those who come to God must believe that He is God and he is the rewarder of those who diligently seek him. The whole concept of reward is only possible when there is a mix of options, when there's presence of options. Reward is only possible when there are options. So is character. Character is only formed in the presence of options. When you go through hard times, when you go through tough times, when you go through uncertainty, temptation, that's where character is formed. And it's only with character and integrity that God will trust you with influence. It says in Nehemiah 7, this is an interesting verse. It says this, I put in charge of Jerusalem my brother Hanani along with Hananiah, the commander of the citadel, because he was a man of integrity and feared God more than most men do. Catch this. He was entrusted with authority because he was a man of integrity. To be entrusted with influence, we must be a people of integrity. God is more concerned about you than he is about, than he is what you would accomplish. Come on, follow me. God is more concerned about you than he is what you will accomplish. Sometimes God will withhold certain things from you. Favor, promotion, increase because your character doesn't match up to that increase when he does so it's not punishment it's mercy when God withholds something from you it's not punishment it's mercy because he doesn't want you to come to a place where your character can't sustain you 
the character example here in the midst of all the tribulation, favor and increase. All of God's judgments are for your sake and against anything that hinders them. Is it making sense? That's what integrity is. It's character. It's where our values, our actions, and words are one in public or in private. A lack of integrity can, may take one of three forms. Okay, Let's have the three forms up. Lack of integrity may look like inconsistency between words and values. That produces a lack of honesty. Next slide. Inconsistency between oh, it's a tongue twister. Inconsistency between actions and values that produces a lack of courage to act, or it could look like inconsistency between values, words, and actions, and it leads to people pleasing. That's why lack of integrity often looks like. Proverbs eleven. This is another verse. Proverbs 11 verse 2 says this, The integrity of the upright guides them, but the unfaithful are destroyed by their duplicity. By their duplicity. You know, there's a verse that I'm sure all of us are familiar with. It says in Romans 7, Paul's describing a sinful man. It says this, Oh, wretched man that I am. The word wretched is actually really interesting because the Greek word for that word is the word schizo. It's where we get the word schizophrenia from. Oh, wretched man that I am, the good that I want to do, I, I can't do, the bad that I don't want to do, I do. Skip to all men with multiple personalities, all double-minded men. A person of integrity is a person that is of one mind. It's not double-minded. You know, th- there's this scripture that, that often intrigues me, it's in Matthew, it says that when the eye is single, the whole body is filled with light. That's an intriguing passage of scripture because it suggests that, you know, have one eye, be single. Uh, but that's not what, what the scripture is saying. You know, I did some research and that phrase used to describe when the eye is single, the whole body is filled with light. That phrase would be translated to when a person is of one voyage, one journey, one endeavor, his whole body is filled with light. A person of integrity it's the same person in public, in private. It's the same person when it comes to his thoughts, his words, his deeds. He's not a double-minded individual. Is that making sense? <coughs> Let me share a story before I lose you. When I first met Bill Johnson, I was with him in an airport. We were waiting for a flight, and, uh, and the flight was delayed. I was upset because I hate flying, and I'm not a big fan of airports. And so I was... In the airport, waiting in the waiting lounge with him, and a flight was delayed for some five hours. And Bill got up from his chair and went uh, about the airport, and he started picking trash from the floor. And I was like, okay, that's a very weird individual. And so he started picking trash from the floor, different things on the floor, and just put it in the bin. He started cleaning up the airport as we were waiting for our plane. And so I didn't, I didn't talk to him uh, about it at a point in time, and... Uh, I got to meet with him a couple weeks after. I was just asking him, he's like, oh, so I noticed that you like to pick up trash <laughs> in the airport. <laughs> I was like, is that, is that something that you do, something that you enjoy? And, uh, and if, if you've ever had the chance to meet Bill, you know that this, this man is a man of character, a man of integrity. He's not a boastful individual at all. And so I, as I asked him the question, I was like, so is this something that you do, something that you enjoy? <laughs> you know? Clearly, I didn't rehearse this time when I met him. Uh, but he, he looked at me and he said it in the classic Bill Johnson way. He's like, God can't trust me with an airport. Why would he trust me with a city? <laughs> At the point in time, I just felt super unchristian. I gave my life to Jesus again. and God can't trust you with a city. Pick up your trash, that's what I'm saying. That's integrity, right? Who you are on the stage, you know, the values that you profess to carry and have on the stage is who you are when no one's watching. You know? When no one is going to go, oh, Bill Johnson, thanks for cleaning up the airport, give you a plaque. 
when there is no applause, when there's no reciprocation. You're still the same man. Because integrity isn't motivated by the opinions of men. It's an internal value that we cultivate. It stands whether there's applause and whether there's persecution. It's an internal core value. Making sense? It's interesting that the word used for integrity in the Bible is the same word used to describe the breastplate and the armor of God. And we all know that the breastplate is the breastplate of righteousness. Integrity is not to be defined on our terms. Integrity is righteousness of God's standard. For the Christian, integrity isn't just being a man and doing the right thing. It's doing the God thing. You know, I, I, I spend some time with uh, young professionals in our church. Uh, I have friends who are working. And uh, one of the, the many temptations that they face in the, in the working world is um, oftentimes a temptation to succumb to the prevailing culture. You know, the culture in some companies might be uh, people backstab, manipulate, gro- gossip, slander in order to get ahead. The culture in the company may be uh, when you have people working for you that you get to treat them poorly as a perk of the job. The culture in the company might be toxic, it might be full of gossip and slander, and, and it might be the way it's always been done, or the way to get ahead. And a lot of uh, people in the working world, they, they struggle with that. You know? I want to be successful, but yet, you know, there are these things that seem to contradict my faith. I like to say this, that our quest, you know, here as a church, you know, we, we have a value for being relevant, right? You know, we don't make you dress up in robes and stuff like that. We wear skinny jeans. We have, a, we have a real core value of being relevant and making our faith relevant to the world. Yes? But our quest for relevance cannot be at the expense of our holiness. Relevance is not becoming like the world, it's becoming what the world needs. And the world needs Christ, the world needs Jesus. Just because it's culturally acceptable, it's a societal norm, doesn't make it okay. Who defines what morality is? The scriptures, God, or what is popular opinion? Integrity is not just doing the right thing, the popular thing, the common thing, it's doing the God thing. Are you with me? Okay, in closing, I'm going to close. Early. With three points. (laughs) Aha! (laughs) Made you happy. Sorry, I lied. It's not three points, it's four points. (laughs) Miscounted, four points. I've shared on what a lack of integrity looks like, and today I want to close with four manifestations or expressions of what integrity looks like, can be expressed, can be manifested, and uh, share some stories. Oh, you, you like stories, yeah? First, first point, a person of integrity has pure motives. Pure motives. You look in this verse in First Chronicles chapter 29, it goes, I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. All these things I've given willingly and with good motives. And now I've seen with joy how willingly your people who are here have given to you. First Chronicles chapter 29. God tests the heart and he is pleased with integrity. He's pleased with integrity. I remember one occasion when I was buying some clothes um, and I went to the store. Bought some clothes, paid in cash and then I left the store, and as I was putting the money back into my wallet, I noticed that the salesperson gave me my change and the money to which I paid her. And so like, I, I gave a $50 bill, I got my change and the $50 bill. And you know, I would admit that at that point I went Jehovah Jireh. You know, <laughs> he's my provider. And, uh, and I was like, oh, this is beautiful. I was like, this is a big chain store, they can afford it. Uh, but after walking around one lap, I was like, no, nah, this, is, this is not okay. <laughs> Even thought of sharing it as a testimony, you know, like, oh, you know. But 
so so I I went back and then I I went to the the cashier and I was like, hey, you know, I think you gave me back my money. Uh, here you go. Uh, and then she went, oh okay, can. And then she just took the money and just put it in the the cash register. And then no thank you, no nothing. And then I went on my merry way. You know, at that point in time, you know, I was just rehearsing in my mind what's going to happen. You know, I'm going to give the money, and then they're going to go, "Oh my gosh, sir, you're so honest. Let's take a picture of your face <laughs> and put it on our wall of fame. Let's call CNA and do an interview." You know, and I thought that I thought you know people would applaud, and I was like, because I was like, I'm being so full of integrity and honesty. <laughs> I don't know how many of you think that way, but just maybe just me. A person of integrity has pure motives. What does that mean? It means that you pursue integrity not because of the applause you might receive. You pursue integrity not because of you know, the opinions of men or that you will stand tall or do you have this form of moral superiority over men that you can lord and rule over them. It doesn't look that way. A person of integrity has pure motives. Pure motives. You know, there was once I went to a coffee place and the barista was taking his own sweet time and I, I have a high value for customer service. Especially when it's towards me. And, uh, and so I was sitting there and the barista was just, you know, chatting and taking his own sweet time. And, and, uh, and I, was, I was getting a bit upset. I was getting a bit annoyed. And part of me was really tempted to snap at him. And I was like, okay. So I just decided to hold myself together and keep it in. And uh, when I went to grab my drink, um, I didn't even say thank you. I just grabbed my drink. And then he looked at me and was like, hey, you're Andre, right? I was like, yes. You're a pastor, right? It's like, yes. And so he recognized me online and he knew I was a pastor. And so at that point in time, I was like, thank God. I didn't, <laughs> I didn't murder the guy, you know? <laughs> <laughs> or maybe he asked me what church I can see another church here and then. And then I'll fall down further in the pit. <laughs> you know, I don't know how many of you take like Uber and Grab or stuff like that, you know, but every time I get into a car, um, when a person asks me what's my occupation, I, I'll tell them I'm a pastor. Usually the conversation stops. It's just an instant conversation killer. It's like, oh, that is interesting. And then it stops, you know, because... It might have the impression that I can look into their soul and see every sin they've committed since they were three. <laughs> and I often find myself in such positions, you know, where I'm, I'm in the car and maybe I'm a bit moody that morning and so I'm just really quiet or I get really snappy. And, uh, and during the car ride, the person would lean back and say, oh, okay, so you're going to this place. So what do you do for a living? <laughs> like, oh, okay, here's a, here's a good opportunity to lie because I wasn't a very nice person to begin with. And integrity is, is challenging. It's challenging to be to, to live a life of integrity. Who you are in public is who you are in the private. It making sense. Pure motives. A person of integrity has pure motives. You know, I, I was in an environment where there were a lot of supernatural activity happening. You know, it was happening. People were getting healed all the time. And one of the things I noticed is that people um, in their attempt to glorify God, to boast about the goodness of God, they would at times exaggerate certain information. You know, like sometimes you know, people ask me, like, oh, how is church this going? I was like, great! Like, people are doing this, people are doing well, blah, 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 blah. And, and I'll admit, you know, sometimes there is, there is a temptation to exaggerate, even the numbers of the church or how people are doing. God is not glorified when our character is compromised. Even though you have the purest of motives, I just want to glorify God, and so I am a bit more liberal with information. Right? God is not glorified when character is compromised. And all the time, exaggeration is an attempt to cover insecurities and fear and a lack of trust. I like to say this over us, that exaggeration is the same as lying. It's the exact same thing. And some of us, you know, we're guilty of doing so. Maybe you exaggerate so that the story will be funnier. <laughs> so that you get a good laugh. Maybe you exaggerate because you want someone to feel better or you want to look better. Exaggeration is the same as lying. 
And a personal integrity has pure motive in what he says and what he do for others. Making sense? Next, a personal integrity is dependable. Dependable. We read earlier Psalms 15, who may dwell in the sanctuary, who may live on a holy hill, he whose walk is blameless and who does what is right, he who lives with integrity. But it says in Psalm 15, verse 4, as it goes down, describing a personal integrity, it says this, a person of integrity is a person who keeps his promises even when it hurts. Who keeps his promises even when it hurts and does not change his mind. The person of integrity keeps his promise even when he would rather not. He keeps his oath even when it hurts. How do you do that? How many of you know that when you sign a contract, you're making a promise? When you sign up to do something, you're making a promise. When you say you're going to join something, you're making a promise. When you set an appointment, you're making a promise. When you say you're going to teach a class, you're making a promise. When you say you will be there, you're making a promise. And the person of integrity keeps his promises even when he would rather not. How can we be the kind of people who keeps our promises and are dependable? A, we can watch our words. B, make fewer promises. C, if you can't, don't say you can. D, if you don't know, say you don't know. E, you just shut up, according to someone. <laughs> I heard you. E, avoid rash vows. Avoid making vows rashly. F, learn to say no. Learn to say no. Yeah. If you're late, say you're late. Don't say you're on the way. All the people come on the time say? Ah, okay. I expect to see a lot of you here. Yeah. Person of integrity is dependable. Third point. A person of integrity speaks the truth. Speaks the truth. Matthew chapter 22, verse 16. is a comment made by the Pharisees as they were talking to Jesus. He says this about Jesus. Teacher. Let's have a verse up. Teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity, you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. You unswayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are. You say it as it is, regardless of who that individual is. You know, I spent some time in the US, and one of the great things about American shopping is that uh, they have a free return policy. Free return policy, no questions asked. Uh, there was once I was uh, spending some time with uh, Xuan in his house in LA. Uh, we were hanging out together and we, uh, Shane has an Xbox. And so he has an Xbox with one controller and I was visiting uh, for, for a week. And then uh, Shane proposed this to me. He was like, hey, <laughs> hey, there, there is, there's only one controller. We need two. How about we go to the game store, buy a controller and after you leave in a week, we're going to return it for a full refund. smart. It's, and, so, and so we we did that and we, we had fun for a week and we returned and we got our money back. <laughs> Fast forward a few months later, um, Shuen visited me in, in uh, where, where I was at in Reading and then uh, Andrew and Hannah came along as well and so we were hanging out together and Shuen was like, hey. <laughs> okay. Shuen and I were like, hey, um, we haven't played FIFA in a long time. How about we go to the game store, buy an Xbox, <laughs> two controllers, and the game. <laughs> we'll buy everything, and then we're going to return it for a full refund <laughs> after like three, four days. And as we were discussing this proposition, Hannah looked at uh, Shen and said, uh, is this the gold standard of integrity? So needless to say, we didn't buy the Xbox. <laughs> Is this the gold standard of integrity? So a person with integrity speaks the truth. Speaks the truth. He says it, she says it as it is. Right? Even when it's tough, even when it's hard, even when it's not pleasant. You know, I was sharing with a mentor recently how uncomfortable I am uh, being a pastor at times. You know, sometimes you just have to be confrontational. You have to call people out. You have to tell them when they are going the wrong way. I think that's part of love. You know, love confronts. It doesn't allow a person to 
stay in darkness, you're confronted. Tells the person when the person is going the wrong way. And I was telling my mentor, like, you know, I, I really struggle with being a pastor at times because of the need to confront. And my mentor said this to me, Andre, if you want people to like you in life, don't be a pastor, sell ice cream. <laughs> don't be a pastor, sell ice cream. <laughs> it's true, right? If we want to be well-liked in life and liked by all people, then we can't live a life of integrity. Integrity will have its day where there's applause, where people will say, good job, well done. But there will be days where you live a life of integrity that will, that will attract persecution, offense. But in that moment, you get to make a decision as to hold on and hold fast to what is true and what is right. That's where character is born. And that's the foundations which God can build upon. And then trust me when your character is proven in the midst of options. I'm making sense. <coughs> Last one. A person of integrity leaves a legacy. He leaves a legacy. First Kings chapter 9. Okay, this is God speaking to Solomon. He says this. And as for you, Solomon, if you walk before me as David, your father, walked with integrity of heart and uprightness, doing accordance to all that I've commanded you and keeping my statutes and my rules, then I will establish your royal throne over Israel forever as I promised David, your father, saying, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. Because of David's integrity of heart, because he chose to hold fast to the things of God, then came Solomon. If you live a life of integrity, you shall not lack a man on the throne of Israel. Integrity leaves a legacy. I'd like to read us two stories and then I'll close. First story I want to read is about a man named Easy Eddie. A number of years ago, Al Capone owned virtually all of Chicago. Al Capone is Scarface. Scarface is a real person, not just a movie. Okay. He wasn't famous for anything heroic. Instead, he was known for leading an organized group in illegal bootlegging, prostitution, and murder. Capone had a lawyer nicknamed Easy Eddie. He was his lawyer because he was very good. Eddie's skills had kept Al Capone out of prison for a long time. Capone showed his appreciation for Easy Eddie by showering him with every luxury in life so that he could enjoy um, including a gated mansion with servants. The estate he lived in was so big, it filled an entire Chicago city block. Eddie lived a high life and gave little thought to the evils that went on around him. But he had one soft spot in his heart, his son. He had a son he loved completely and he ensured he had everything in life to, get, to help him get ahead. Despite Eddie's involvement in organized crime, he tried to teach his son right from wrong. He wanted his son to be a better man than he was. Yet with all of his wealth and influence, there were two things Eddie could not pass on to his son, his good name and example. It was later that Easy Eddie decided to try to right all his wrongs. He went to law enforcement and told the truth about Al Capone in hopes that it would clean up his tarnished name and offer some semblance of integrity to his son. In order to do this, he knew he would have to testify against Al Scarface Capone and the mob and that it would most likely cost him dearly. He testified, and within a year, Easy Eddie's life ended in an enormous blaze of gunfire on a lonely Chicago street. In his eyes, he had given the greatest gift he could to his son. Police pulled from his pocket a rosary, a crucifix, a religious medallion, and poem he had clipped from a magazine. The poem read, The clock of life is wound but once, and no man has the power to tell just when the hands will stop. At late or early hour, now is the only time you own. Live, love, toil with a will. Place no faith in time, for the clock will soon be still. I would like to read us the second story. World War II had created many heroes. One such hero, hero was Lieutenant Butch O'Hare, a fighter pilot. One day, his entire squadron was sent on a mission. After being airborne, he looked down at his fuel gauge and to his surprise, realized that someone had forgotten to top off his fuel tank. As a result, he would not have enough to complete his mission and get back to the ship. He was told by his commander to return to the ship immediately. 
he did so reluctantly and dropped out of formation. As he was returning, he saw something that turned his blood cold. A Japanese squadron was speeding towards the American fleet. With the American fleet gone on a sortie, the ship was defenseless. He had no time to bring back the squadron and had no way of warning the fleet of approaching danger. There was only one thing he could do, and that was to divert them from the fleet. Not taking into account his personal safety, he dove into the formation of Japanese planes with his wing-mounted guns blazing as he surprised one enemy plane after another. When his ammunition ran out, he dove at enemy planes with the hope of clipping a wing and sending them in a downward spiral. Finally, the surprised and frustrated Japanese squadron took off in another direction. Butch O'Hare and his battled fire, fighter plane limped back to the carrier. Once he landed, he tore off his great adventure. The film from the gun camera mounted on this plane told the entire tale and showed the extent of Butch's heroism. He had destroyed five enemy aircraft. Because of his actions, he, he became the Navy's first ace of World War II and the first Navy aviator to win the Congressional Medal of Honor. A year later, at age 29, Butch was killed in aerial combat. His hometown would not allow his memory to fade, and today, the O'Hare Airport at, in Chicago is named after his bravery. I read you two stories. What do those two stories have in common? Butch O'Hare was Easy Eddie's son. Integrity will leave a legacy. Having integrity may be tough, unpopular, inconvenient, but it's what makes us Christian and gives us credibility as a faith community. And its effects goes beyond what you can see. Here we stand. I like the story. How many of you like the story? Yeah? yeah. That was a good story. Better than Arthur Guinness. <laughs> awesome. No, I don't really have a, a, a crazy call or anything, but I'd just like to pray for a few folks here. How many of you struggle with integrity? You truthful about it? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm shocked that anybody raised hands. Yeah, me, me too. You know, it, it's tough, like, you know, sometimes, you know, because the, the opinions of others, you know, and it's, it's, it's a tough, tough road to navigate, yeah? Well, my encouragement to you is this, you know, that every time you say no to a temptation, you say no to doing the unkingdom thing, every time you say no to what's popular opinion, what's a societal norm that's dysfunctional. Every time you say no to something, you're saying yes to God. You're saying yes to God. Temptations in life are not there to break you, they're there to form you. Every temptation is an opportunity for you to affirm your love, your allegiance, your belonging to God. Every temptation is an opportunity for you to say yes, for you to love God. And the journey of integrity Though challenging, it's a journey full of great reward, full of great joy. Because when I choose to pursue this thing which God values, I bring Him honour, I bring Him glory, I bring Him praise. And so I'd like to pray for you this morning. Can I get every eye to close and every head to bow? If this morning you struggle with integrity, you struggle with having the right pure motive, you struggle with speaking the truth, you struggle with being dependable at times, with being a person that people can count on. I'd like to pray for you and my prayer is simple. My prayer is that the grace of God will empower you this morning to live the life He's called you to live. In the scriptures we read that in the law there was requirements, in grace the requirements intensified. Why? Because grace empowers you to live a life that you cannot live on your own. Grace is the Holy Spirit filled life. And the life filled with the Spirit is a life of endless possibility. It's a life lived far beyond your own ability. And that's my prayer for you this morning, that you will experience the grace and empowerment of heaven. So with every eye closed and every head bowed, I would like to pray for you. If that is you this morning, you would like to be prayed for and you struggle with integrity.
you're making a stand today to live a righteous life, I'd like to pray for you. At the count of three, I'd like you to lift your hands. One, two, three. Is there anyone? Thank you. Thank you. Good. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. All right, you can put them down. Lord, we thank you that you do not call us simply to just live by your standards and your commandments, but you have given to us freely your Holy Spirit, which empowers us to live your standard. God, we thank you that we are not alone in this endeavor, but we are empowered by your very presence and spirit. So Spirit of God, we ask in this moment that you will come and fill every person here. Fill them with your Holy Spirit. Empower them by your grace. Empower them by your power. God, call us to live a standard far beyond ourselves. Call us to live a life that you have intended for us to live. And God, we ask that this community will be known as a community of integrity. That who we are in private is who we are in public. That our words, our thoughts, our actions, our deeds will measure up to the Christ we so profess to follow. God, we are making a decision today to be your disciples. To not just be people who profess to be Christians, but to be people who, ex who exemplify what it means to follow Christ. So God, we ask that you'll help us even as we make a decision this morning. God, I ask for the resolve to overcome sin to be made manifest in every heart that we will not just ignore sin in our life, but we will come at it guns blazing, guns blazing. We'll come at it tearing everything that is not of you. God, help us to do so. Help us to live a life of integrity. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.